Welcome to the Great Base Tennis Podcast. This is Andy Fitzell, your co-host alongside Steve Smith. Episode 54 this week, we're speaking, interviewing tennis teaching professional Kyle Lacroix. It's kind of fun to say his last name. Yeah, it reminds me of watching the Montreal Canadiens. It's not Kyle Lacroix. Yeah. It's the Americanized version. Yeah, you had to go with Kyle the... Lacroix. He shoots, he scores. The French version. Lacroix. Yeah, it'll be fun to talk to him. Ferris State graduate. Mm-hmm. The PTM program. We spoke about PTM programs. He certainly will have some insight. Ferris State, the program up in Big Rapids, Michigan. Yeah. Contributing member of the PTA. The USPTA. He's been a tester. Got degrees from Michigan and Stanford. No dummy. You and Mama I didn't write no dummy. You recently, you and I recently toured his tennis club. Beautiful place. Yeah, the Oaks nice. in Boca Raton. He's been there since he graduated from college, 17 years. That's a feat. He also now has his own consulting program called SETS. Uh, I met Kyle when he first graduated from Ferris State and connected with him through many members of his alumni. Yeah. The other day, I forgot that uh, Chad Berryhill was taking my son Connor on tournaments. Uh, my son Connor stayed with him. He was playing a tournament in Boca Raton. Yeah, I first met Kyle at the Fair State program. I was speaking up there years ago, and he was there that year. Yeah, he's a team guy. I've uh, done a lot for the, P- the uh, PTM program and the USPTA. Not sure he's a member of the PTR. I'll have to ask him. Mm. His wife, Lisa Gleese, yeah, played at Duke, played at Florida, played professionally. I have to ask Kyle about his wife, what she does. She's a founder of a nonprofit called Love Serving Autism. Yeah, she's a speech and language pathologist. But yeah, let's call him up. Um, he's, he's someone I certainly uh, and a friend. I've known him a long time. He's helped us out here and there. Um, but we we. Our listeners should know we have not uh, trained Kyle like most of the uh, people that we've interviewed thus mm. far. Um, but uh, I definitely think that he has a connection just indirectly by uh, being a student of what we, what we study, what we share. Sure, yeah. But give him a call. Yeah, let's get him on the line here. Mr. Lacroix. Dialing. You got to break into your phone first. It's ringing once. <laughs> Remember the ring in the movie Slumdog Millionaires? <laughs> yeah. Phoning a friend. Dun, dun, dun. Hello? Mr. Lacroix? Yeah? I'm just going to say your last name as much as possible. Of course. It's just fun. You're more than welcome to. <laughs> hey, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, Kyle. Look forward to speaking with you. Thank you. We Thank uh, you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing, and uh, I'm uh, honored and privileged to be a part of it. So thank you. Yeah, it was nice to visit you this weekend and see your place. It was a beautiful, beautiful spot. I would stay there for a long time as well. Back to Boca. <laughs> we told our listeners about your, we'll get into your fair state background, PTM, USPTA, Michigan, Stanford. The Oaks for 17 years, your consulting company. But we also want to start with a better half. Tell us about your wife, Lisa. We were fortunate to meet her when you came here to visit. Tell us just for a few minutes and we'll get going with some questions for yourself. Absolutely. So my wife, Lisa, uh, Lisa Puglis, as I'm sure many people would would remember her as, um, she was, you know, top junior tennis player and, and 
you know, had a, had a nice career at Florida, won a national title under Andy Brandy, the head coach. And um, she, you know, played on the tour for a little bit as well. And unfortunately, her career got cut short because of a back injury. But, you know, a great story is that she, she found another purpose. And that was to start a organization uh, called Love Serving Autism. Uh, for those of you that don't know uh, what Love Serving Autism is, you can definitely check it on the website, www.loveservingautism.org. But Love Serving Autism is an organization that uses tennis as a therapeutic tool to help children and young adults on the autism spectrum. So Lisa is a, a certified speech pathologist, has her master's degree from, from FAU, and uh, she started the organization about five years ago. And she's just doing tremendous things. She has uh, several programs in Palm Beach County. Uh, she's also opened up programs in Pennsylvania, uh, Boston, Massachusetts. And there's a lot of interest internationally as well. So it's just incredible to see, you know, not only was she a talented tennis player, but her real gift is, is helping these, these kids and young adults on the spectrum. And um, just really, really inspiring stuff. So... Uh, if, if anyone is interested, I would highly recommend you uh, you check out our website at loveservingautism.org. Yeah, that's awesome. Check it out. And it's certainly a nonprofit, and she uh, needs financial help, correct? Yeah, I mean, obviously, with with all with all nonprofits, five hundred one c threes, especially the last year and a half, it's been it's been tough. But you know, Lisa is so strong and resilient. And, you know, she's really doing this uh, a lot on her own. She has some help from, from fortunately, USK Florida um, and a lot of interest from, from other places. But, you know, just to kind of keep things going, she would love to build a center um, for, for kids, uh, adaptive, inclusive, you know, get to play tennis and all other sports. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's just one of those battles. But, I mean, she, she's the hardest worker I know. She, she's always on the phone. and and trying to help people out as much as she can. She has her heart of gold, and I'm so glad that I, I, I was able to marry Mother Teresa, it seems like. So <laughs> it's good. It's good. It was, uh, no, I spoke to her a couple years ago, but it was great to meet her in person. I do think some of the things that we've learned over the years from this teacher and that teacher will help um, help her with, with her students. Absolutely. I, I know she's looking forward to it. Uh, we were lucky enough to to uh, come by your place, Great Base Tennis, last week, and um, you know Lisa was just so impressed with with everything you have going there, and, and so you know I, I think it, it's it's the beginning of a of a long beautiful friendship. So, no, it's great having you guys come visit and speak to the kids as well. No, thanks, Kyle. Tell us about uh, how you go from sunshine to the snowbanks. You went from Tampa. Tell us about your time in Tampa as a kid and starting tennis, and then you go to Big Rapids, Michigan. Yeah, pretty pretty unconventional, I would say. So uh, I grew up in uh, a little suburb of, of Tampa. I, I, I was born in Clearwater, um, but I grew up in Oldsmar, which anyone familiar with the Tampa area knows knows where Oldsmar is. But I just tell people Tampa because most people don't know Oldsmar unless they're familiar with Tampa Bay. But um, so I grew up in Oldsmar, and I was actually a swimmer. I was a competitive swimmer. And um, 
was doing pretty well at that, uh, well enough to get the attention of USA Swimming and uh, the Olympic swim team. And I remember that, what was it, 11 years old, they they brought me in a, into a meeting room and sat me down with my parents and they, they opened up a, a giant book. It was like a eight-inch binder. And each page in this binder was, was um was just filled with like a day to day five a m practice to bedtime and all this stuff and they <laughs> said you know this is going to be your schedule uh until the two thousand Sydney Olympics and that's when I was going to be you know of age and I was going to be able to get to to compete and everything else and so that was kind of their plan for me to be a a Olympic swimmer and, and there was just something about that that at eleven years old you know I'm like <laughs> what's what, what's the big deal it, it, it kind of seemed a little too much and you know I still wanted to be a bit of a kid so um I I I still I still swim and I did but unfortunately I I, I didn't pursue it uh, as much anymore because it just seemed like a job and that's when I actually discovered tennis mm. so once I discovered tennis I was immediately hooked and you know I played I played against all types of players. I played against the tournament players. I played against weekend hackers. It didn't matter. I just wanted to be out, play the game, played against the hitting walls. Best coach I ever had still to this day. Mm-hmm. Sorry to my other coaches, but I mean, it was just great. It never got tired. It never complained. It was perfect. Um, but growing up, I, I knew I wanted to stay in tennis for as long as I possibly could. I didn't think, oh, I was going to play high school and then that's it quit go off and get some get some other job in you know insurance or finance or accounting i wanted to stick with tennis and so i i discovered this program up at ferris state university called professional tennis management and i didn't know where ferris state university was and then when i found it was michigan i'm like well i've never been to michigan before let alone i've never seen snow so once I made that decision to, to go up to professional tennis management at Ferris State University, um, it was a big culture shock for me. You know, it, it, it's that nice Midwestern hospitality and people don't call it soda, they call it pop. And I finally got to experience my first, my first Midwestern northerly winter. Uh, and it absolutely blew my mind. But my, my, my years at Ferris State were, were amazing. I mean, it, it, it certainly advanced my career I would say 10-15 years and I, I was able to get experiences and talk to you know industry people just I mean I, I would have no business being in the same room with it at, at that age and, and I was able to rub elbows with them and, and certainly make an impact so it was it was an amazing experience I'm glad I went there I would recommend uh, a PTM program to to anyone that's interested in a career in tennis I just had such a great time with it. And I was a complete tennis geek. You know, I, I was, I was the first one in the club every morning. I was the last one to leave on weekends. I would actually, I, I would actually live there. I, I would bring a sleeping bag. I'd sleep on one of the tables. I'd go out at 2 a.m. and turn on the ball machine and practice against the ball machine. So I was just a complete tennis nut, but it was great. What, what, what years were you there? Uh, I started in 2000. So I started in 2000. I graduated in 2003. Okay. So, yeah. I don't want to digress, but let's go back to the swimming. Uh, six foot six. That's why you and I get along so well. My ego is six foot seven. 
<laughs> you're six foot six. How big when you were you were eleven? The, the the guys must have thought you were pretty good with those flippers. How, what size feet do you have now? I have size sixteen shoes. <laughs> so when you were eleven, how tall were you? Uh, I was I I was always one of the tallest kids in in my class. Um, but I I was just a just a big country strong kind of kid. You know, I, I didn't I didn't spend too much time in in. In, in a gym or a weight room or I, I didn't have any sort of extra training. It was just kind of all natural. And I was just a, a, always a big, strong kid. And so I got in the pool and it was one of those things where I think I kind of, in my, my infancy, I, I, I just kind of lived in the pool. I, I remember my, my grandfather, when I was very young, just kind of said sink or swim and tossed me in the pool. And I floated to the top and I, I, I learned to swim very, very quickly. And Looking through photo albums as a as a kid, I'd say ninety five percent of the pictures were me in our family pool, and so mm. I just kind of took to to, to the water. It took me a little longer to kind of get used to dry land, but I always joke with people now. You know, I'm I'm six foot six, two hundred and thirty five pounds, and I I always tell people most mammals my size live in the ocean, so <laughs> it only makes sense. I was going to say if if you were in Russia or old Russia. They would have handed you that folder and said, "This is planned for rest of life," you know, not not for the <laughs> whatever it would have been. This is it. Exactly, exactly. So fortunately, I'm 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 glad I, I wasn't a part of that. But it, you know, at, at at 11 years old, when you're approached by by you know the the, the USA swimming, and it, it can be a little bit intimidating because everyone's just kind of banking on you're going to do it and you're going to say yes. And for me, I I I just didn't always feel good about that. I, there had to be some element of, of, of fun because that's yeah. how I, I, I started with swimming. It, it was never a competitive thing. It was always, I just enjoy swimming. I like being in the water. And, and so that's how I became a good swimmer. And so I always associated it with, with having some sort of fun and having eight, a whole eight inch binder placed in front of me and just said, okay, this is going to be every day for the next, you know, seven years, it just, it just kind of took away from what I really fell in love with swimming for. And so, yeah. you know, that, 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 that just kind of turned me off a bit. Yeah. Well, that's one thing that's uh, fun and enjoyable about these podcasts is I, I never knew that it's uh, insightful. I never knew that that's where you first started with, uh, I think it's great PTM programs. I understand there's nine now. I'm sure you're, uh, much more up to speed than we are with that. USTAU, USTA University. Uh, I just think so many tennis teaching professionals, they really start because they can hit the ball. But for people to take out college to college loans, I mean, to actually pay tuition. Uh, tell us, do you know much about USTAU, what's going on with the other programs around the country? Yeah, so... Uh, there's obviously Ferris State University. Uh, there's there's Methodist University. I know Tyler Junior College, which I know Steve, you know, you know very well. Uh, they they have a, a two year program, I believe. Um, and there's a few other ones popping up around the country. There's also two uh, graduate school programs. It, it's it's a professional tennis management program, but for a master's degree. Uh, and that's at uh, San Diego State University, and I believe Miami of Ohio. And so um, they're, they're they're popping up. There's a lot of interest from a lot of universities. Um, I try to keep in touch with as many students from all the universities as possible, just to kind of 
you know, contrast and compare and, and do best practices. But, you know, it, it really is a special program. And Ferris State University was actually uh, one of the first. And, and I, at the time I was going to school there, we had 72 students in professional tennis management. And every student was just so special. And they were all great players. And, you know, they were, I, I just looked up to them so much and they had so much experience. And it was really like a family. I can remember, you know, we would, we would do Thanksgiving dinners as a PTM class and we would have the staff of the rec facility come and it was just this sense of community and a sense of belonging. And I was in a room with a bunch of other complete tennis geeks and I just felt so at home. And, um, but USTU is, you know, stepping up to the plate. They're, they're, providing a lot of education, a lot of educational curriculum to, to these programs. And, you know, they're trying to help us out because they know if, if, if we want to get the future of tennis coaching better, we're going to need programs like this. And, and we're going to have to get kids, young kids, high school kids that are interested in tennis and show them, hey, you can have a really amazing career in the tennis industry. And, and if you can start at 18, 19 years old, why not? What do you think I was going to ask you? You know, you went to Ferris State, you know, that was some years ago now, and you've been at the same club for 17 years. Um, what are some of the things that, you, looking back now, that you might think, well, I, you know, my experience was great and learned so much, but I really wish they would have taught me this. Was there, is there anything that you can think of now that, after, you know, all the time, 17 years at this club? <laughs> hey, I wish I would have had this, or I wish they would have taught me this. Yeah, that that that's a great question. I, I think in, in in PTM as you're going there as a student, you know, you, you certainly have sort of a one track mind as to what you want to do, which is, you know, most most of the students that go to PTM they want to be on court and they want to teach. And that's great, but you know, when you want to kind of move up and you know, in a job you get more responsibility that requires a little bit of administrative responsibility. And so I wish looking back, maybe I would have focused more on the administrative side as well. Um, and that, and again, that's, I'll take full accountability for that. There was an opportunity for that, but I just did not pursue it because I'm like, I'm going to be on court for the rest of my life and I love it. And, and, and then as I start to get older and older and, you know, kind of need two new hips, um, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe the, the administrative side, just to kind of have that, just to, just to kind of understand the, the, the business element to it. Yeah. Um, so, but again, that, that's on me because there was the opportunity for that. And, and that's what was so great about PTM is that if you had an interest and it didn't have to just be teaching, although the majority of people are there for that, but if you had an interest in the administrative side, in the club management side, in the hospitality side, in the stream side even, uh, you know, there's opportunities for that. But I just think, you know, knowing, knowing now or, or knowing if I was younger and if I knew then what I know now, I mean, it would be, it would be a completely different experience for me. But my experience at PTM was still absolutely amazing. And I'm glad I went through it. Uh, and I, I think every student that, that does go there, they're, they're in for something special. But you, you really get out of it what you put into it. So. For me, I, I wanted to get hours on court teaching, and that's exactly what I got. In hindsight, maybe I could have focused more on the administrative side, but at the same time, 
you know, you only live once and I'm glad I got to experience it. Yeah. uh, Scott Schultz was a director when you were there. So Scott Schultz was the vice president of uh, auxiliary enterprises for the university. So he was not the director. The director at the time was a gentleman by the name of RJ Tessier. And he was there for two, he was there for two years. Um, And then after my sophomore year, uh, he left, he took a job with USPTA national and uh, another professional came in named Todd Douglas. And so those two guys were, were my PTM directors, but Scott Schultz was still part of the program. He was still in town. He was still doing his thing and, you know, kissing babies and shaking hands. So, <laughs> Tell us uh, some of the internships you did in the summer. I know you were at Saddlebrook. Love to have you tell us the story about Martine Angus and mini tennis. Oh, absolutely. So uh, when I was a, when I was a freshman, you know, I, I came in and on my first day I said, you know, this is my dream. I, I want to I, I, I wanna be able to teach at Saddlebrook. And I said, you know, this is my game plan because I know I need experience teaching. Because at the time when I was in high school, you couldn't really get a job in the Tampa area if you weren't already a certified professional. And you had to be a good one at that. So I couldn't really get any experience at any clubs because they weren't going to hire a, a 17-year-old. Um, so I, I told them I need the teaching experience. So my first internship, I wanted to do the Ferris State summer camps. I just needed the hours. I needed the experience. I just had to kind of soak it all up. Um, and I, I was able to do that. And then I said my second internship, I need to be at Saddlebrook Resort. I grew up 45 minutes away. I was a ball kid for Saddlebrook when they had the Virginia Slims Legends and the World Team Tennis. And I'm like, I've always dreamt of that place and being a Harry Hopman pro. And I said, my third internship has to be at Philadelphia Cricket Club. I think that would be the perfect rounded out internship experience. And I'm fortunate enough to say that I was able to actually do all of those. So I made the goal. I put it in writing. I made the plan and I did everything I did to accomplish that. And I did. But the best internship was was certainly the Saddlebrook one because that one lasted the longest because they loved me so much that they kept inviting me back as a seasonal pro for the winners. And, and eventually, after I graduated from college, they, they offered me a, a full-time job there. But I can remember just trying to get in the door at that place. I was emailing the director of tennis, Howard Moore, uh, probably once a week until he just got so sick of me. I broke him down. And he said, okay, fine. I don't know how much I have for you, but just, just come on by. And so I did. Um, but one of the, one of the, one of the highlights I would say for, for me at that, at that place, other than being, you know, the Harry Hopman pro and, and all of that stuff, cause I just learned so much from it is, is, uh, I got to be practice partners with, with Martina Hingis. So with Martina Hingis, a lot of pros and a lot of the top players we had there didn't really like to practice with her that much because they just wanted to go on the baseline and play points and rally and all this stuff. And Martina didn't really do that. She did, but it took a while for her to get to that point. So one morning she's practicing and I'm on another court working with some juniors and there's some other courts going on with coaches working with juniors and all the other courts where the coaches had the juniors, you know, rallying from the baseline, and, you know, playing games from there. And 
I was the only court that had all my kids up at net, and we were doing mini tennis and volleys and overheads and, and half volleys. And I guess something caught Martina's eye in that. And so she went up to one of our head coaches and said, who's that guy teaching in that court? I really like what he's doing. Can I practice with him? And so after I got done on court, you know, the, the head coach came up to me and said, hey, you're, you're going to be Martina Hingis' hitting partner uh, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. So I was like, wow, okay, fantastic. So I don't think I slept much that night. This was in the early 2000s when, uh, when we kind of had a three-headed monster with Martina Hingis, Jennifer Capriotti, and Justine Ennin. And they were all training at Saddlebrook at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the next morning I get there, you know, practice was at 10 a.m. So, of course, I show up early because that's just the way it is. That's how you have to be. And I was excited. And then we, uh, we started the practice by playing about 45 minutes of mini tennis. And I realized why none of the other pros really liked practicing with her uh, because she did mini tennis for a long time. It wasn't just, here's 10 balls, mini tennis, and let's move back to the baseline and start crushing it. Um, it was, you know, let's do mini tennis up the line. Let's do mini tennis cross court. Let's do mini tennis with only topspin, mini tennis with only backspin, mini tennis short angles, mini tennis in the double valleys. And it was all these iterations of mini tennis. And, and I had fun. And then we finally went back to the baseline and hit a few balls and did some serving and returning, things like that. But, you know, it, it was such a great experience. And so after that first practice session, I was invited back. And I guess they kind of took a liking to me for a little bit. And, and it was it, it was it was an amazing experience, but you know I, I and to this day I start every practice session always with with mini tennis, and I I stress to people the importance of mini tennis, and you know they kind of roll their eyes and they chuckle, but I'm telling you, if Martina Hingis can do it for 45 minutes, you know juniors juniors can can do it for for longer than two minutes. You know it's not a big deal, so it really helps your game and. Um, yeah, it was just an awesome experience to, to kind of be her hitting partner for, for a little bit. I know you and Steve go to the same barber. Did you have a little <laughs> more did you <laughs> you have a little more hair back then? Maybe maybe she just kinda of liked your look too, you know, six five, six Well, six. you know what? I, I, I haven't had hair. Actually I, I, I haven't had hair uh, since I was fourteen years old because I shaved it for swimming. Okay, but right, I will right. say I will say that it, it's built for aerodynamics. And that I'm sorry if you're if you're a little bit jealous there, Andy. But you know, some people God gave some people perfect heads; the rest had to cover with hair. So <laughs> I like that. I'm just like going to leave it at that. <laughs> with uh, I tease Andy's wife and say it's too bad your husband's going gray. It's so much better to be bald. <laughs> hey, man, what we're about, built for speed. What about gray and bald? I mean, that's kind of what you got going. Tell us a little bit about Philly. I've spent a lot of time teaching tennis in Philly with the grass courts. That must have been interesting to. Not many people have dealt with grass courts. Yeah, so Philadelphia Cricket Club was one of those was one of those uh, dream internships I had, and I made it a goal, and I, I achieved it. Um, I, I wanted to do Philly Cricket Club for for a few reasons. Number one, it, it's an absolutely stunning club. Uh, number two, I have family from from Philadelphia, so I, I was going to be able to get to see them. I was going to kind of enjoy the the Philadelphia food diet. Which, which was fantastic, you know. Um, but I, I, I went to Philly Cricket Club at, when, I was, when I had just turned 21. 
and it was just a remarkable experience. We had 24 grass courts, nine hydro grid clay courts, mm-hmm. two indoor hard courts, two outdoor hard courts, and the ITF grass courts were were hosted there as well, mm-hmm. uh, which was also a great event. But you know, I I, I had a wonderful time there. Uh, I certainly made an impact. You know, ran the junior camps, right? Ran the the, the adult stuff. Uh, it was it was just a, a, a wonderful experience. It was a beautiful club. I could not have asked for a more picturesque club. I mean, every every picture I took looked like a postcard with the twenty four grass courts. But you know, it, it's one of those things too where it makes you realize just how small the tennis world is. Because if it wasn't for that internship, I don't know where I would be right now. Um, because a few years later, actually about a year later, when I had graduated. Um, I was looking for a job, and Philadelphia Cricket Club offered me a full-time job. I turned it down. There was a brand-new health and fitness center in um, Grand Blank, Michigan, and they offered me a job, and I turned it down. And Saddlebrook Resort offered me a job, which I thought would be my dream job, and I turned that down. Everyone thought I was crazy. Here I was, a college graduate. I turned down three dream jobs for most people. But I knew I wanted to go for something more. And so at the time, there was this club in Burford Tone, brand new club. It really the last, the last parcel of land in Burford Tone yet to be developed. And it was going to be this club. And I, I called them up. I sent in my resume. I interviewed for the job. I, I flew down on my own dime two times just to interview. And of course, it's a new construction. So things take a really long time. And, and they were just dragging their feet. And so I ended up being home with my parents, living on my parents' couch for a couple of weeks, which was just uh, a little too much for them and a little too much for my own pride and ego. So what I ended up doing, and I don't recommend this to anyone listening, is I, I, I lied to my parents. I told them I got the job in Boca Raton because my parents weren't tennis people. They didn't know how tennis works. They thought it was like McDonald's. You know, you walk in, you fill an application, you get hired. They didn't, they didn't realize that, you know, there's, there's time, there's negotiation, and all these different factors and politics involved. So I lied to my parents and I packed up my four door white Kia Sportage and I drove to Boca Raton in which I didn't know anyone. I wasn't familiar with the area. Um, and I didn't really have any money to my name. And so I actually lived in my Walmart parking lot, um, for a couple of weeks and in this Walmart parking lot, I was just kind of contemplating life. <laughs> and anyways, I, I had some job interviews with this guy and, and, you know, long story short, um, he, he didn't really, he liked me, but he didn't like me enough to hire me and give me the role at, at his club. So he tossed away my resume. And as he tossed away my resume, it flipped to the back page where my references are. And one of the references was this gentleman by the name of Ian Crookenden. Ian Crookenden was my director of tennis, my boss at Philadelphia Cricket Club. And the director that was hiring, that was doing the hiring for, for this new club in Boca, had actually grown up. And Ian Crookenden was his first tennis coach and introduced him to the sport and how to teach and coach tennis. And so he hasn't talked to Ian in 30 plus years. So he sees this guy's name, Ian Crookenden, and says, oh my goodness, I have to call him. So he calls him later that day, and after a two-hour conversation, Ian says, by the way, 
how in the world did you ever get my phone number? <laughs> and the director says, oh, you know, I was, I was interviewing this, this young kid out of, out of college. And, you know, he, I really like him. He's good, but he's just too young and he has no connections to Boca and tennis. And I don't know how many clients he can bring in. And he's just really young and a little bit green. And, and Ian's like, well, who was it? And he says, oh, it was, it was Kyle Lacroix. And Ian says, oh, my gosh, Kyle is great. We offered him a job here. But, I mean, he was the best intern we ever had. You have to hire him. <laughs> and so that, that, that was pretty much it. And that's how I got this job at Boca Raton. Now, 17 years later, um, I'm still here and I'm absolutely loving it. But it just goes to show you, you know, you have to make a good impression all the time. You always have to be on. You always have to get caught doing the right thing. Because, you know, for him to, to say that and for him to just say, you got to hire me, he's the best intern we ever had, the tennis world's small. And so you have to you have to put your best foot forward all the time. So, great story, though. Oh, it's a great story. I always check your references, too. <laughs> always. <laughs> yeah. Always. The, uh, no, when you were giving us a tour of the club, you were doing the right thing. You were uh, picking up the garbage as you walked by yeah. and very conscientious about making the place look better. Tell us about the USPTA. Uh, we had a, a podcast on certifications. Andy and I are mm -hmm. members of the USPTA. Are you a member of the, US, of the PTR as well? I'm a member of both USPTA and PTR, yes. But you've been more proactive with the USPTA, a tester. Tell, just, just tell us about your background with, uh, I guess, both organizations. Sure. So uh, I, I first began with, USPTA back in, in 2003 when I got my certification through professional tennis management. And, and I immediately, once I got out into, into the workforce and, and started Book for Tone, um, I just kind of took, I took an interest in being, you know, a tester so that I could certify pros. And one of the reasons why is because all the pros that I've spoken to, they always remember their, their testing experience because um, obviously it's the first impression that, that, that USPK has, but, but they always remember their testing experience. They remember the tester. They remembered where it was, what club it was. They remember their private lesson, the group lesson. And overwhelmingly the vast majority of them did not seem to have the best experience. Uh, something soured them. And the fact that they were still after all these years, still members, you know, it, it blew my mind and I'm thinking to myself, you know, what an amazing opportunity to make a great first impression, to give these applicants an incredible experience and to really kind of, you know, move the needle a little bit in terms of what USPTA can provide and the experience they actually get during the testing and certification process. So based on that, I said, yes, I'd like to be a tester and I went through the, the proper training and I've been a tester for going on 14 years now. I've tested over 1500 USPT professionals. Oh, uh, I've mentored wow. a whole lot as well. Um, and I've tested, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of touring pros as well. I was actually contracted by the ATP and WTA tours to uh, provide their pro university course mm. and to administer that. And part of that was the, on-court USPTA test and um, it was it was a bit surreal being at the Miami Open every year 
being on a court with surrounded by pros who are all top 200 in the world and trying to teach them how to teach a backhand volley. Because surprisingly, these world-class professionals don't really know that much about how stroke production works. They don't understand the technical nuances of a stroke. They just kind of walk around the core with their with their racket on their chest and their arms crossed and kind of point mumble things and say, just do it like this. And, you know, they, they, they had a real hard time getting down to the level of the student and understanding, you know, all the all the technical stuff. So it was great to kind of be on court with them, teach them and some of them had light bulb moments because they could do the shot but they couldn't actually explain it. So uh, that 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 was also a big highlight for me, and I, I made a lot of friends through that uh, pro university course, and, and good connections with ATP and WTA tours. So but, you've been um, more active with the USPTA than the PTR, then? Yeah, I, I, I became a PTR member uh, a few years ago, and um, you know I, I've 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 helped them out too, and I have uh, I presented uh, this past year at the at the PTR symposium, the, the international symposium, uh, which was great. But, you know, I, I've just, I, USPTA was always my, my, my first dip in, into the tennis industry. And, and as, as a tester, I, I've just kind of been a bit loyal to them, but I, I have, I have friends in both PTR and PTA. So. And now what's the connection with USTA? This didn't exist for a long time. Explain how the USTA is now in the, the role of accrediting the, USPTA and PTR, how's that work? What's that based on? Right. So the USTA has struck a deal with PTR and USPTA on accreditation for certification, uh, trying to raise the teaching standards. And USTA has gone about um, creating a new certification pathway. Before a pro could just kind of sign up for PTR or PTA and take a weekend course and the next thing you know, they get a certificate in the mail and Hey, this is us. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm now certified. But now what USTA has done is they've kind of upped the standards in terms of the coursework and the material that, that incoming coaches and applicants have to do. So there's a eight hour uh, course, which for the past year has been online due to, due to COVID. Um, and that requires, it's, it's not so much the what to coach, but the how to coach. And so USPT starting them off on that with a, with a, with a foundation um, of, and an understanding of how to coach. Uh, and then from there, then PTA, USPT and PTR will take over, and then they will start to administer the, the second, third, fourth phases. USTA is still working on some more stuff along with those phase one, phase two, phase three. But for the most part, USTA has taken over the initial application process and the first impression. Yeah. 17 years at a club. I guess first and foremost, congratulations. Um, yeah. And that, that doesn't always happen. Yeah. It's kind of like the seven-year itch. Uh, the committee's like, well, I think it's time for a change. <laughs> um, so give us some advice on your longevity. I have I've had just a handful of students that uh, have been in places you know, 25, 30 years, um, but 17 years. I mean, right out of right out of college. Um, how's that? How's that worked? 
give some advice to people. How do you, how do you, well, I, I, I've been, like I've that. been, sure. I mean, I've, I've been really fortunate because I, I walked into a club that was a very unique situation. It was brand new. And when I say brand new, I'm talking about my first day on the job. Actually, my first month and a half was spending a construction trailer in the parking lot, uh, working nine to five. And every time I left the trailer to go to the clubhouse, I had to wear a construction hat because uh, it was still a construction zone. We didn't have fences up on the tennis courts. Uh, the interior of the clubhouse wasn't, wasn't done yet. Um, and it was just a unique experience. But those first couple of years, we were still owned by the developer. So it was a little bit like the wild, wild west. We could pretty much do whatever we wanted to. Um, and we could, you know, pretty much spend, there wasn't really a, a, a transparent budget per se. It was just kind of, Hey, is this going to sell more homes? Is this going to make us more money? Okay. We could do it. Um, and then after the developer phase, the developers then, you know, uh, sold it to the HOA or they gave it over to the HOA. And then it became, you know, the, the whole transition from developer-owned to, HO, to HOA-owned. Uh, the Homeowners Association took over. And so that kind of gave the, the, the club a, a second life and a new identity. And so it kind of changed clubs. So even though I've been at the same club for 17 years, it's really been at two or three different clubs. Um, but, you know, Clubs down in Boca Raton. Boca Raton's a very um, interesting area. There's a there's a very demanding clientele. Uh, it's competitive. So for me to be at, at one club in Boca Raton for 17 years, um, yeah, it, it's definitely something I'm, I'm proud of. I mean, I know pros that haven't lasted in Boca for, for one year. So to be here 17 years, I, I, I always joke with people. I don't know if my members are, are I don't know if my members love me or they're scared of me, or they respect me. But, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's just one of those things where I've seen it all. I mean, if, if I wrote a book, people wouldn't believe it, and they would think it was fiction, but it's all true. Uh, but you know what? It, at the end of the day, it comes down to, to service. And people like to know how much you care. And yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a tennis geek. I study all the stuff and the facts, and I know the statistics, and I know who was 37 in the world back in 1997, this and that. But at the end of the day, they, they don't really care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. Once once they know that and you got the book, then it's a lot easier to start teaching them and, and, and kind of become a little bit more ingrained into their psyche. But again, you know, what, what I deal with, it, it, it is the service industry. Um, I feel like I, I do a pretty good job at that. But you know, lately, as the years go on, you know, I, I, I start to, I start to, you know, branch out a little bit more. I start to kind of stretch and push the limits just, just to kind of see. And, you know, my, my members respond to that because obviously you have to evolve. The, the club evolves, our students evolve, tennis pros have to evolve as well. And, mm -hmm. and so it, it's just one of those situations where, you know, I've been at the club 17 years. I've seen it all. Nothing surprises me anymore. I have a great rapport with, with the membership. There's some students in my at my club who started off my junior program. They're our first juniors, and now they're off in college or they're college graduates and they're married. And it, it's just interesting to see the whole 
evolution and the progression and, and the development. And, and one thing I'm probably most proud of being at this club for so long is that all of my juniors, all of my students have grown up to be really solid, good people. Um, more, more so than their tennis skills. And I've taught, you know, a, some, some pretty good players, but more, more so than, than anything, they've all grown up to be really good people. And that's, that's really the best feeling in the world. Yeah, for sure. I've got here written down, uh, you know, we've spent years with Vic Braden, and, uh, but I know you have an experience with Vic Braden. Tell us about your road trip with Vic Braden. Oh, boy. Yes. The, the, the whole scenic route with Vic Braden. So as a, as, as a fair state student, um, I always volunteered to be on the transportation committee when it came time to banquet. And the banquet was PTM's big festival and we would bring in always a big time keynote speaker. We would have Peter Burwash and we would have Vic Braid and we would have Tom Gullickson and Katrina Adams. And, I mean, you name it, that they would, they would come to, to, to Ferris. And so I knew that if I volunteered to be on the transportation committee, that there would be a good chance that I would get to go to the airport. I would get to pick up, you know, one of these, one of these industry luminaries and, and and I, I, I would be able to spend time with them. And I've done it for Peter Burwash, I've done it for Tom Gullick, and I've done it for, you know, USPA President Katrina Adams. But my best experience by far was the one when I got to pick up the grade because the Grand Rapids International Airport is about 50 minutes away yeah. from Ferris State University's campus. And... I was just having grown up on big brain videotapes because that's how I kind of learned how to play tennis. Um, I, I just, I, I, I was absolutely giddy and they, they gave me a nice rental car and it was just impressive. And I dressed up in, you know, nice clothes and a nice dress shirt and khakis, which as a college student, I never really wear except that one day a year at banquet. <laughs> and so I go to pick the brain up and he is everything I thought he would be and so much more. And we had the best time talking. And it was probably about 15 minutes into the trip where it suddenly hit me that this man has forgotten more tennis information and insights than I, than I will ever probably learn. Um, it was just an incredible experience to be in a car with him. He was a captive audience. I was a captive audience for him. He shared some of the most incredible stories. And I realized this trip is going to go by so quickly. So I decided midway through on my way up to, to Ferris State in Big Rapids, Michigan, that I was going to get off a couple exits early. <laughs> and I got off the exit uh, few, probably about 15, 20 miles early. And I just took some back roads. And I think at one time, you know, there might have even been a dirt road involved. And Vic Brady kind of looked at me and he didn't realize if he was being taken to a tennis banquet or if he was being kidnapped. <laughs> Do you know and, where you're going, coach? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and, and he, he did say, you know, how, how, how far away is it? And I said, oh, you know, well, we're kind of in a rural area. And, you know, I, I do know that there's some bad traffic up ahead. And so because <laughs> I hit it on the way down. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The dueling banjos and everything. So, but, you know, Vic, Vic, to his credit, you know, he, he, he was happy. He was smiling. And we just shared some amazing stories. 
Um, and then finally, you know, the, the, the trip ended about, I mean, what, what should have been a 50 minute trip took about one hour and 45 minutes. Um, and I didn't really care. And I know, I know the, the, the whole fair state staff and PTM were freaking out because they thought Fine. something happened to us. And to be honest with you, it was just completely selfish reasons. I wanted to spend as much time with him as possible because I knew that number one, he, he was getting older. Number two, as soon as he arrived at Ferris, everyone would flock to him because that's just the type of guy Vic was. And I knew I wasn't going to have a chance uh, during during the banquet or during the whole weekend. So I really had to soak it up. And I, I had a million questions for him, and he answered all of them. And then I realized I still have a million more. Um, but it, it was, it was a wonderful experience and do I regret it? Absolutely not. I mean, it might've been the longest car ride for him, but for me, I mean, I, I could have driven another seven hours and been totally entertained. You should have just brought a few donuts and then he would have been like, Hey, is there anything else we can see? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That, How, that, is, that, that's Nick. Is the, uh, banquet still annual or is that still a happening event? So the banquet is still an annual event. However, they're doing it a little bit differently. It's no longer towards the end of the year. It's kind of sandwiched mm. uh, in, in two parts. It, it's sandwiched kind of at, at the beginning of the year or towards the end of the first semester. And then there's another smaller one. It's more of uh, it's, it's a lot less formal. I remember the banquets I went to in PT and it was, you know, it was a, a black tie event and, yeah. you know, it was, it was, it was real, real nice. But I think because of, uh, because of, uh, you know, university budget situations and everything else, and because it just took so much time and energy to make that special weekend happen. And I can remember I, I, I met, uh, I met Andy there, I think back in 2013 when, when Roy Emerson was, a, was a yeah. keynote speaker, yep. Yep. but, uh, and, and that, that's, I think when we first met, but, yeah, I mean, it was it was just such a great event. But now I think they have it kind of compiled into more bite-sized bits. So, yeah, I've I've made three different trips to Ferris. Um, I was there one time where I got to see a hockey game. That was kind of cool. Um, Hockey's big up there. Saw the, the saw the, I was at the banquet once. Uh, another time I ran a mini camp. I did something for the um, Ferris State students on a Friday, and then. I ran a Saturday Sunday mini camp. Some juniors came and they were mostly from Chicago. Um, but um, how about the alumni? Is there a lot of interaction? I um, is there is there someone who leads that, keeping the the network uh, networking? So the the Ferris State University PTM alumni is, is is great. I mean, we we I know a lot of them still keep in touch with one another, and I know that. All the all the alumni volunteer to, to come back up uh, on, on on their own dime just to help out the PTM students. There, there's something special about PTM at Fair State and going up there, having been through the program. You know, there, there's just a bond that that we all have that that we share. You know, there, there's certain there's certain inside jokes that we have, and there's just there's just this, this feeling of camaraderie that can't be replaced. And I've never experienced anything like it since, but the, the, the PTM alumni there are fully supportive. They want to help out the students. They know how important it is uh, for the program, 
for the university, for the tennis industry. Uh, but a, a lot of the alumni still keep in touch. I actually was just on the phone with one right, right before right before our conversation. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we, we always try to stay connected, and we always go back. We always try to help out the kids. I know I've done it a few years where I've gone, and I've, I've spoken, and I've helped out with, with testing and everything else. But, you know, it, it's just it, – it's hard to explain because it, it, if you haven't been there, if you haven't gone through it, you know, it, it just – it might not make sense. It, it might almost seem a bit cultish. But you know what? If, if, if I'm going to be involved in a cult, I'd rather be in a tennis cult than anything else. <laughs> Oh, that's well put. With uh, the other programs, isn't uh, Hope College with Jorge Capistrani? Capistani. Capistani. Isn't that pretty close to Ferris? It's a Michigan. It school, is. I think, right? Yeah. Hope College is probably about an hour and a half away. Do you think? And they also have a PTM program. Yeah. Do you think with uh, you know programs close to one another like that, or having too many, one can you know the, you know cannibalize one could you know really cut into the enrollment of the other? Yeah. I mean, that, that was my, that, that was, that was my initial thought, but looking at the demographics and the enrollment, Hope College is, it's a much smaller school and it's private. Um, and the, uh, tuition there is, is considerably higher. So they're going after a, a, a different segment of the market. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that was my first initial fears that, well, they're going to cannibalize each other, but, but, um, you know, Hope College is a little bit more selective, uh, in their, in their student body. Um, so because of that, I think Hope College might have, you know, maybe, maybe eight students, whereas Fair State has, you know, over 30. So it's just a different, a different dynamic, but. It, it certainly does 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 seem weird that they would be that close together, but again, you know, I I don't I don't come up with this, so mm-hmm. that's out, that's out of my pay grade, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Could you touch upon uh, the difference between working with recreational players and competitive players? Sure. So I've been I've been very lucky to teach all levels. And I'm, I'm very proud to say that I don't I don't specialize in in one specific level. I mean, you know, a lot of coaches are like, oh, I only work with, you know, high performance, um, which I don't think any coach will admit to working with low performance. Um, so, you know, for me, it, it yes, I, I take care of my members and, and recreational players, but I also have a have a crop of of you know strong juniors you know, college level juniors, UTR of, you know, 12, 13, and then also some, some professional players as well. But, you know, the, 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 the real, the real issue is, is, you know, people are people. If I could quote Depeche Mode, but you know, you, you still, you still <laughs> got to treat them. <laughs> They're my favorite band. So absolutely. Nice. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's one of those things where, you know, even if it's a beginning player, doesn't mean that they're a beginning person and so you still got to treat them with a high level of respect and, and you know again you have to realize they're coming out for three things right they're coming out for for enjoyment for exercise and for education and that's just really you know the the basis of that when you start working with higher level players and, and things like that it, it, it can change a little bit 
but again, you're still dealing with, with the person. Um, but again, the training is going to be harder. I mean, there's a big difference between, between playing tennis and playing at tennis. And a lot of recreational players play at tennis and, and some of them don't really want to take the time to learn. And as a coach, as a passionate coach, as a coach that has dedicated his whole career to education, you know, that can be a little bit tough and it can be a blow to the ego, but at the end of the day, it's, it's the customer first. And, and especially in the environment I'm in 17 years at a club in Boca Raton, I mean, I, I, you kind of have to, you kind of have to feel that way. But on the other hand, you know, with, with high level players, you can, you know, especially, well, I shouldn't say high level, I should say goal oriented. How about that? Um, because th- those, those players that are good enough, they come, they're disciplined, they want to get better and they're, they're willing to do what needs to be done. But again, it comes down to, to teaching the person and then you can teach the athlete, you can teach the strokes and all those things. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's always a challenge going from one to the other. And I, I literally have lessons in days where I go from a complete beginner, which they always think like tennis coaches hate them. And in reality, tennis coaches love beginners because they're the best students we have because they have no bad habits. Yeah. Um, and, and then you go from a complete beginner to, you know, someone who just got done playing, playing, you know, a couple of futures events. Um, you know, I had a training camp earlier this year at my club on the red clay with, uh, with two, with two players that were, you know, top hundred, uh, Kiki Burton's who was actually number four in the world and a Roger Russ and they're two Dutch players. And they came, we, we did a training camp together on our, on a red clay court at our club and they, they absolutely loved it. But, and I'm going from, you know, teaching a ladies division six, which is a strong two player to ladies who are, you know, top hundred in the world. So, you have to shift gears quickly, but again, at the same time, if you're if you're looking out for their best interest and you, you treat them with with respect, uh, then you know you shouldn't you shouldn't have too many issues. But it's definitely a, a, a good gear shift for sure. Yeah, you got a lot wear a lot of different hats, especially at a club, and realize that people are in it for different reasons as well. Be able to adapt. Kyle, your thoughts with the two E's? I heard you say that the other day when you were answering some questions for our players. Uh, ego and entitlement. Uh, what's your advice on dealing with kids that are uh, privileged? Right. So, admittedly, being in being in Boca Raton, you know, we we do have a a concentration of, of wealth here, and you know, especially in the in the gated community private club section, you know, you you do struggle with the two E's from from students, which is ego and entitlement. And, you know, there's, there's no easy way around it. I mean, sometimes you got to bite your lip and mind your P's and Q's, but ultimately, you know, you just, you just make it clear that if, if they're going to have a, a exceptionally high expectation of you, then you as their coach are going to have an exceptionally high expectation of them because that's only fair. And that's how it needs to be on the court. You know, I, I will respect them. Uh, for taking the time and for sharing with me their two most precious commodities, their time and their money. Um, and with that being said, they also need to understand and respect that I am sharing with them my two most valuable commodities, my expertise and my time. And so I think if you can just kind of set the tone right there and let them know that, hey, 
I don't work for you. I'm working with you because there are people out there that think that you work for them. And I'm not to say that, you know, again, we're in the service industry. There is a component to that. But ultimately, when we're on the court, it's a level playing field. And I don't work for players. I work with players. Um, and so as, as long as they understand that you have their back and that you as a passionate coach are going to do whatever it takes to make them better or to get them to wherever they want to go, um, then, then that's fine. And all of a sudden, the ego and entitlement will kind of dissipate. But it's always a little bit tough at first because you're trying to feel them out and they believe that you know their kid should be on this court or that they should be playing on this team. And it's one of those things where you know facts and logic are always are always good barometers. And if, if you use facts and logic, although they might not like it, they have to respect it and they have to understand it. And there's no argument against that. So you know you, you just have to kind of keep a cool head about it. And you just have to understand that, yes, they do have certain certain privileges, um, but you as a coach, as an employee of the club, and just as, as, as a human being, you know, you, you have certain rights as well. And so it, it's just the ego and entitlement. Yes, it's big, but, you know, some people you don't have to deal with as much. Other people, you have to deal with them every day. And maybe I'm just completely numb to it, but... Like I said, I, I, I've been here long enough. I know how to play the game. I don't treat everyone the same, but I do treat everyone fairly. That's good advice. That's well put. Um, your thoughts on the state of the game, state of coaching? Oh, boy. We might need another podcast for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the state of the game. I mean, listen, I, I my heart goes out to to everyone that's, that's been affected by – by the last, you know, two years of, of, of this pandemic with COVID. But, you know, COVID, it's honestly the best thing that's happened to tennis. This has, this has given tennis a second chance. I mean, tennis is pandemic-proof. I mean, we have the social distancing, and we have the outside, and it's just so great. And, I mean, I, I know people are going to be like shocked, like, oh, you're not allowed to say that. But you know what? To be honest with you, tennis needed this. And Private clubs are absolutely crushing it right now. And there's a lot of public facilities that are also doing very, very well. And tennis needs to take advantage of this. Tennis needs to show the rest of the world just what an amazing sport it is. I mean, you can get so much out of the game and and so much out of it. Tennis just needs to capitalize on this opportunity. And as they capitalize on this opportunity, they also start to think about the future, right? We always talk about we always talk about player development and players need to do this and players need to do that. But, you know, where, where, where do they learn that from? They learn that from coaches. And coaches are some of the most powerful, impactful people that, that, that kids have in their lives and even adults have in their lives. And if, 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 you, if you do a survey and you ask people, you know, who's the most influential person in your life outside of your family, they're probably not going to say, oh, my accountant, my tax attorney, my gastroenterologist, they're going to say it was a coach. It was a teacher. So we need to do a better job of highlighting just how special good tennis coaches are. And we also need to do a good job of getting younger kids to get involved, not so much in the playing. They can always do that, but also in the teaching. And when you do peer to peer teaching, 
that's going to be a huge impact as well. But I mean, I'm I'm, I'm always a big fan of, of the peer-to-peer stuff, and I I just think we we need to do a lot more of that in this country where we can get you know our high school students to help out with you know the red ball program or the orange ball program just so that they understand because I know you guys are both familiar with this, but the best way to learn something is to teach it. And, and it, it's just something that we need to do more of. More people need to, need to learn tennis and not just, and not just play it, but they actually need to understand it. And I think that would just go so far, but I mean, the state of the game right now, I mean, it's amazing. I haven't seen this tennis boom since, well, in my lifetime, but I know in the seventies they had a tennis boom. But I mean, this right now, every every club down here is packed. I can't hire pros fast enough, and every other club down here can't hire pros fast enough. I mean, we are just through the roof. So, uh, you know, listen, I don't treat COVID as a setback. I treat it as a setup, and we have the option to either be victims or we can be victors. And I'm choosing the latter. You know, so I mean, we we need to step up with the coaching. We need to step up with with the the promotion of it. We need to step up with the way tennis is, is taught nowadays. We need to step up with a little bit of the lingo. You know, this whole this whole high performance stuff. You know, again, like I said earlier, I've never met a coach that says they teach low performance. And then you know, you have the. I mean, it, it, it could just go on and on. But for 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 the most part. You know, we just need to embrace this opportunity. Tennis is a healthy sport. It's a safe sport. Let's get more kids involved in coaching. Let's get more coaches involved in development and professional development. And this sport will be just fine. But it has to start from the ground up. Kyle, what about the, your, your company? Tell us a little bit about the acronym. What, what the letters stand for? And what are you doing in addition to your work at um, the Oaks, uh, your consulting company? Sure. So I have a company. It's called Seth Consulting. Seth stands for Specialized Educational Tennis Solutions. And quite simply, we we offer a, a whole range of services, but we, we do some supplemental coaching. We work with a with a couple tour players and their coaches. Um, we kind of are getting out of the, the player development. Um, Phase, which again, that's that's another term, player development, as opposed to what player regression. I think every coach is in player development, but it, it, it's it's one of those things where you know we go into the coach development, we work with clubs, we train their staff, uh, we work with federations, we provide educational curriculum to tennis federations, international tennis federations, uh, a couple in Europe, and, and things like that. Um, we work with we work with private coaches as well, trying to get them to reach their goals. So uh, we work with colleges, college coaching staff. So there's a whole whole lot of things we do. And, and the website is www.setconsult.org if anyone wants to check it out. Um, and the website will pretty much give you the, the whole synopsis of what we do. And we're also, you know, uh, Rebo Wall uh, ambassadors. So because we're a big fan of the wall, because like I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, the wall was my best coach. But, um, you know, we, we, we offer a whole a whole set of, of options. Um, we do a lot of, you know, speaking engagements as well, presentations, research, uh, research I've done through, through my master's degree at Stanford. 
Um, but it, it's just been really exciting. I, I launched it last year, one week before COVID. So my timing is impeccable. <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's actually, it's gotten uh, a surprisingly good amount of, of uh, publicity. Um, a, lot of, a lot of tennis shows I talk to, not only around the country, but around the world, really love it. They love our services. They love what we do. And every single tennis professional I've spoken to that has seen the website, that understands what we do, they say, we so need this. We've needed this for a very long time. So I'm happy to, to be able to, to provide that for, for so many. And I, I, I consult internationally as well. It's, I mean, it, it's, just been, it's just been a real, a real passion project of mine, and it, it's turned into something really special. Oh, that's great. That's great, Kyle. Anything else, Andy? Any, Kyle, anything else you want to add? Any more questions? Yeah, I think we uh, covered a lot. It was really fun for me. I hadn't been down to Boca and spent much time <laughs> around that area, so it was really great to be down there and see everything in person. And um, now it looks like you've got a great setup and glad to hear you're doing so well and infecting so many people. And that's what tennis needs. Absolutely, I think I think tennis needs tennis needs the, the, the impact players. Tennis needs professionals and, and coaches that, that are just going to step up and, and kind of look out for each other. You know, there's so much emphasis on on the players and how do we get how do we get the next wave of, of you know American champions? And it's like, well, you know, maybe we get them some some really good coaching. You know, and that that's that's what I really like about what I do is is that you know instead of just working with with one player you know, where all my, all my advice and, and, and hopefully some wisdom, you know, kind of just gets dropped on them. I get to work with coaches and then those coaches go out and those coaches get to use that on a whole bunch of students. And so um, it's, it's just, you know, a, a really special thing to, to work with coaches. That's what I love to do the most uh, working with federations, working with clubs on their, on their, on their pro staff. But I mean, you know, listen, it, 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 it's an awesome thing. We are so blessed to be part of the best sport in the world. I know tennis has been very good to me. Tennis has been very good to you guys. So, I mean, we just have to, we just have to do well, make impacts. And then when, when something good happens, we have to pay it forward as well. Exactly. And they named a drink after you, Kyle. Lacroix. Yes. Yes. It's the uh, it's the Lacroix sparkling water. I I always pronounce it Lacroix, but they they they've, they've, they've Americanized it and they they pronounce it Lacroix. But you know, I always tell people it's the family business, and I find that when I say that, I usually get better seats at restaurants and things like that. So it's worked out well. But it's it's a four billion dollar company, so I do wish it was the family business, but unfortunately, it's not. That's great. No, it's been great having you. Um, I was going to ask you when did you first become, you know, aware and and you know studying the Great Base. What what's your background? I mean, I know we've got our online courses, but where did you first start to get into the Great Base and yes, implement well, that? Sure. Well, proud to say, proud to say, I've uh, I, I've I've done the courses online at Great Base, and I have my certificates hanging up and things like that, but. <laughs> I heard, you, I heard you say I, the three E's, so I thought, okay, there we go. Got the yeah, three yeah, E's. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's one of those things. I, I've I've known, I've known of Steve Smith for 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 quite some time, um, and and so again from Vic Braden and from 
you know, just a whole lot of, a whole lot of other people in the industry. Um, I figured anyone that can, that can, you know, talk about Vic Braden, um, and, and understand what Vic Braden is trying to do, understand Vic Braden's teachings. I'm like, they, they have to be pretty profound, pretty solid as a, as a coach. And so, um, I, I've always known about, about Steve and I've always kind of kept up with him and, and I actually sent one of my one of my best friends to, to go work with Steve. Uh, and Steve knows who I'm talking about, Chad Berryhill, who's a who's a wonderful college coach. But you know, Chad was a, a PTM student with me at Fair State, and um, and I remember when we graduated. Well, he, I graduated a year ahead of him, and when he got out, he was looking for a job where to go, and he calls me up and. He says, Kyle, you know, you're, you're from the Tampa area. Do you know about this guy, Steve Smith, and, and Tampa and HCC, Hillsborough Community College, and all, all these different things? And I said, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm familiar. I said, listen, Steve Smith is, is, is a wonderful coach, and if you want to get into college coaching and you want to know about tennis and you want opportunities to expand and, and learn and grow and develop, I said, this, this, is, this is an easy decision. You've got, you've got to go get this opportunity in Tampa with Steve Smith and he will teach you what he needs to teach you and you'll love it and you'll be a better pro because of it. And so Chad nodded and took my advice, which I'm so glad he did. Um, but, you know, ever, ever since then, it's just, you know, Steve and I have had a great relationship and when Great Base Tennis started, I was like, absolutely, go for it. I mean, this is this is something that, that tennis needs and you know, great base tennis is kind of like a little secret, and I really wish it wasn't. I, I, I think every tennis coach, every player needs to know, needs to understand it. I'm a big believer in the fundamentals, and I'm a big believer in doing it right from the beginning. Uh, you know, you guys always say you can't substitute a good beginning, and it's so true. But it, it's just one of those things where, to me, I go by facts and logic. That's that's just how I've always been, and to me, this is fact-based. Uh, it, 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 it's science-based. It, I mean, you just you can't deny, you can't argue against it, and it's just a great method of teaching. And I, I wish more students and more coaches were able to know about it. But I mean, the the proof is in the pudding. And, and if, if anyone goes to your website, they'll see videos of, of past students and what you guys have been able to do with them. And like I said, I mean. Video doesn't lie, and, and it's it, it's just all there. So I've always had a, a great respect for for Steve and for what he's been able to do. And he has a great coaching tree too, obviously, um, with all the coaches that have kind of worked under him and have gone off to do big big things. So it, it was just a, a mutual respect, and, and you know, listen, great great base is, is it's a wonderful platform that kids and adults and coaches and parents all need to know and all need to understand. And if that's not a great testimonial, Andy, I don't know what is. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. <laughs> no, oh, thanks, thanks a lot. Kyle, thanks for the great words. With, Absolutely. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, for, for everything. Thank you, guys, for uh, allowing my wife and I to, to come visit uh, your place. And yeah. thanks for stopping by and seeing my place. And, and thanks for thanks for your friendship. And I just, I just hope we can, we can take this roller coaster and, Ride it even more because, like I said, tennis has been good to us, 
and it's going to continue to be. I just want to tell our listeners one thing is that we were just chatting and I said, why don't we do this? And I said, Andy's pretty good, but I, he's not as good as I am. So Andy, why don't you arm wrestle Kyle? And I just want to tell our listeners that you're 6'6", 235, but, but Andy, Andy, even though he's not bald and with that shaky great hair, he took you down. So I didn't, I didn't have to try to arm wrestle. I was over the top, you know. What I do is I just put my hat on backwards and it's like a switch, you know. And it just came over the top and Kyle went down. Kyle gives that, that hand player shake, you know, where they grab you, give you the, the, the your bump chest. Like Somebody the, out there will know. It's an old Stallone movie, Over the Top, 80s. Over the Top, like I said. But, uh, Great movie. My son Connor used to say that he didn't like to be hugged by Riley Opelka. <laughs> <laughs> you get, when you get hugged by Kyle Lebois, I mean, it's like you come up to his belly button. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. Well, thanks again for being on. Yeah, great to talk to you. And you, you, you speak so well, and you, you gave some great advice. And young coaches, old coaches, I hope people uh, can tune in. And that's one great thing about podcasts. Um, if you know, it'll be archived, so if people didn't pick up on it the first time around, they go back to it. We'll tell people to tune in. Yeah, definitely a great plug for the PTM programs out there as well. Yeah, I look forward to having you and your wife come back up. It's great to have you visit. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. And, and, uh, congrats, congrats on all the success and, and best of luck in the future. And we'll, we'll certainly be in touch. All right, Kyle. Thanks again. All right, Kyle. Talk to you. Thank you so much. Later, man. Have a great day. Bye. You too. Bye. That was great. Yeah. So well spoken. Yeah. Great advice. Just get away with words and, um, yeah. Inspirational, informational, transformational. Yeah. Check out, uh, you know, um, his website, his wife's website. Yeah, I'll have links to it in, in the show notes so you can check it out. As always, you can find us online at Great Base Tennis, greatbasetennis.com, social media, all that good stuff. Number 54, over and out. Thanks for listening. Yeah, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>